0: You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on December 9th, 2018. A reading from Psalm 126. When the Lord overturned the captivity of Zion... Then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us already, whereof we rejoice. Overturn our captivity, O Lord, as the rivers in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who goes on his way weeping, and bears good seed, shall doubtless come again with joy and bring his sheaves with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm sure all of you know the name of Senator John McCain. Uh, He died this past August, and I think we can all agree that he was... um, He was an honorable man he was a noble politician and he was a christian but the thing that uh, that sometimes we don't remember as much because it happened so many years ago is that he was also a prisoner of war during the vietnam war and so he was he was flying his plane and he ended up having he got shot his wing uh, fell off the plane his plane crashed into water he broke his leg and both of his arms one of his arms in three places and he was taken captive uh, when someone stra- swam out to get him and brought him to the shore. And so for five and a half years, he was a prisoner of war in this camp. He wasn't treated for his, uh, for his injuries or barely treated. Um, and when he started to heal, he experienced lots of beatings. He was in solitary confinement for more than two and a half years. Just imagine what that would be like. His family didn't see him for more than six years, when you add the five and a half years to the the time he was deployed. Can you imagine being his wife and wondering, what was happening to him? Was he okay? I just can't even imagine. When the day of his release finally came, he was hesitant to believe that it was true until he shook the hand of a man in an American uniform. And as he approached that U.S. Air Force plane, um, he didn't know what to think. And this is what he wrote as he recounted this experience. He said, there's no way I can describe how I felt as I walked towards that U.S. Air Force plane. I think as we think about Psalm 126 today, there are some words that might give voice to his experience and to the experience of so many others. And so you can see this in your bulletin. We're going to spend most of our time in Psalm 126 today. And the first two verses say, When the Lord overturned the captivity of Zion, then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongues with shouts of joy. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written or which experience of the people of God it recounts. And there are lots of experiences that it could potentially be attributed to. Uh, And because of that, through all the generations, many Christians and many Jews have used this psalm as a a way to think about their own experiences, their own experiences of captivity, their own experiences of, of being down in the pits and being restored, being brought back up. I can't imagine what John McCain felt like But I imagine some of this might have been going through his mind. To be in captivity for five and a half years and then suddenly to be free, to see your family again. It may not have happened immediately for him, but I'm sure it must have felt like a dream for him to recover from that experience. And I'm sure eventually his mouth was filled with laughter and his tongue with shouts of joy as he greeted his family and was returned home. Derek Kidner, who's a commentator on the psalms, said this about this psalm in particular. This psalm, speaking first to its own times, speaks to us still. Miracles of the past it bids us treat as measures of the future. Dry places as potential rivers. Hard toil and good seed as the certain prelude to the harvest. This is a joyful psalm. It's a psalm to recount in times of sorrow. And it's a psalm to recount as we look forward to the future that God has for us. When we continue in the psalm, we see uh, down in verse 4, it says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. The Negev was a, a region, still is a region, in the Middle East, which was very dry very desert-like, very arid. And so when the rains do come, which doesn't happen very often, the riverbeds, which are normally dry, quickly fill up with water, with fast-moving currents of water. And the area that had become barren, deserted, almost lifeless, comes back to life almost overnight with flowers and grasses and green-growing plants in a region that's normally dry, and hard for life to exist in. And that's the image that this psalm is recounting. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. It's a, a reminder that God sometimes works in these miraculous ways that, that sometimes flood us with blessing in ways that we couldn't have expected, in ways that are sudden, in ways that are dramatic. But this psalm quickly turns away from this image and turns to another image. And so we look in verses 6 and 7 and it says They that sow in tears shall reap in joy and he who goes on his way weeping bearing good seed shall doubtless come again with joy and bring his sheaves with him. Now for those of you who have grown up on farms and I know many of you have you'll know that that farming is not an experience of sudden and miraculous things happening. Farming is an experience of slow and steady paces, of persistence, of planting at the right time, of waiting. Certainly God's hand is in it because God is the one who brings the rain and God is the one who gives the growth. But it requires a lot of waiting and it requires a lot of patience and it requires a lot of diligence. As I said, it requires the miraculous provision of God, for sure. But it's also dependent on our own labor as we work towards that harvest. And Jesus uses similar harvest imagery in his Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, where he says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And it reminds us that all around us, all the time, the seeds of God's kingdom are being sown and spread. And that God is looking for laborers, looking for us as his children, to participate in the work of bringing that harvest to fruition. And I think we can apply this psalm to our own situation here in Middleburg, here as Good Samaritan Anglican Church many of you can remember days of old in this church when things were thriving. You can think of many periods in the history of this church where where things were going well, where there were lots of people, where there was lots of things going on. You can remember when a youth ministry had more students than we could really remember how many there were. And those times can come again. But there's hard work in front of us. And that work can be discouraging at times. But we know that God has acted in the past. And we know that God will continue to act in the future. The experiences of the past are not isolated incidents. Though they're often different from the experiences God has for us in the future. The constant is that God is always there. God is always with us. God's harvest is always ready to be harvested and the seeds of his kingdom are always being sown. And so like farming, diligence and persistence over time are required. It takes patience. It takes waiting. It takes the diligence of actually sowing those seeds, of doing the things that we're already doing, having outreach events, sharing the love of Jesus with our neighbors, doing the things that God tells us to do, reading the scriptures, being diligent to be faithful as Christians, to live our lives in accordance with what we find in this book. And so we need to be diligent in planting. We need to be diligent in weeding. We need to be diligent in watering, providing the fertile soil needed for the plants to come up after they take root and to flourish and to bear fruit. These are the kinds of things that God does, and we get to participate in that work. It's our privilege as his children to be a part of that family business as the children of God. And so as I think about this, I'm encouraged by a verse that comes to us from Philippians. Paul writes here, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That certainly has to do with our spiritual lives, with our own growth in Christ, with our own journey towards the heavenly country that we're all destined for. But it also has to do with the the kingdom work that God calls us to do here and now. It has to do with the, the seeds that are planted and the growth that God brings. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. But there's one other way that I think we can apply this psalm, Psalm 126. And that's in a, in a bigger way. We can think of, of things in a narrow focus as they apply to our personal lives. But we can also think of things on a much grander scale the story that defines all of our lives, the story that we're all a part of. And in that story, we have this image of captivity. We sang in that great Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, this morning. Ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. One of the contexts that Psalm 126 may have been written in Is coming out of the exile in Babylon, perhaps some years after that exile, as people are looking back on the joy of coming back home after 70 years in a foreign country under foreign rule. But now they're in a stuck place, a hard place. Things aren't quite as as rosy as they anticipated when they came back home. And so they're looking forward to the, the further future action of God, but they still feel in some ways like captives. And as God restored their fortunes coming back from that exile, they're asking him to restore their fortunes again. When we layer this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, on top of Psalm 126, we can see the past action of God not just in that experience of coming home after exile, but in the exodus experience as the people of God came out of Egypt. We can see it In the first advent of Jesus when he took on human flesh and came to save us and we can see it in the decisive victory that Jesus won on the cross for our sins when he took our place and died so that we could have life but the thing that we need to remember is that this world that we live in is not truly our home it's the place where we live But if you think about Abraham as one who lived in tents, that's kind of our experience here in this world. The things that we have are temporary. They're not permanent. The home you live in is a nice place to live for now, but it's not the ultimate place, because the ultimate place we're all moving towards is that heavenly country that Jesus is calling us to, where he says, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that's what Jesus does for us. He begins to prepare a room for us in his father's mansion, in his heavenly country. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And we long for the day when the Son of God will appear and when he will set things right. But until then, we are captives, like the Israelites were in Babylon. We're strangers in a strange land. We don't quite belong here. So, in what ways are we captives? What holds us captive in this world? There are two main things. The first one is sin. We're all captive to sin. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this this is chapter 8. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Think about sin for a moment. Think about the ways that you don't always live up to the standard that God has set for us the ways that you don't live up to the the better things that God has for you. Have you ever tried to will yourself out of sin? It can be really hard to do, especially for those sins that really have a grip on us. And that might be a different experience for each of us. We all all have our our sins that we kind of cling to or that cling to us. And that's what we mean by sin holding us captives. That's what we mean by slavery to sin. When we can't master that sin in our lives, we are a slave to that sin. It's as if we had iron shackles on our wrists and around our neck. We're bound up and we can't free ourselves. Jesus is the one who sets us free. And that's why he says that if the Son remains in the house forever, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is the one who can free us. Jesus is the one who can release us from that captivity. There's no other person who can do it. Only Jesus can make us free. And as Christians, sin doesn't have the grip on us that it once had in our natural state. But it still clings on to us. The effects of the fall are still very real in our lives. And we can always feel sin trying to pull us back into our old ways trying to pull us back into our own lives. And there's a constant struggle we face as we try to live life in the way that Christ is calling us to, the better way that Christ is calling us to, the way that we know is best for us. We just can't quite seem to get it. And Jesus can help us day by day. His Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, and he makes us more and more holy as we dwell in him and he in us but that captivity won't be perfected until that last day when Jesus returns or when we die and go to be with him. So we're captive to our sin, but we're also captive to the enemy of God. In some places in the scriptures, it calls Satan the God of this world, particularly in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Imagine having a a pillowcase thrown over your head. You wouldn't be able to see anything, you wouldn't be able to know where you are, you wouldn't be able to know who else is in the room except perhaps for their voices. And that's what happens to us when Satan is ruling in our lives. We have this bag over our heads, a pillowcase over our heads. We can't see what's going on. We can't see the truth clearly. Satan is the God of this world with a lowercase g. Jesus is the God of this world with an uppercase g. But for a time, Satan is allowed to reign. Satan is allowed to have his way in this world. But that, too, will come to an end, again, when Jesus returns, when he comes back for us, when he sets us free from our captivity. And so there's another verse that we sang today from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that recounts this. It says, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. This world holds us captive. Satan, as the god of this world, holds us captive. And we long for their release. We long for a day when there aren't any more school shootings. We long for a day when there isn't any more war. We long for a day when there aren't any more people hurting each other and stealing from each other. But those things are the experience of this world so often. Because Satan is having his way. But we know it won't last forever. And so we cry out to the Lord, restore our fortunes, O Lord. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us already, whereof we rejoice. Where are the places in your life where God has done great things for you? Where are the places in your life where you know that God was there? Where you know that God was working? Where you know that God was changing things? Where have you seen God working in your own heart? God is with us. God loves you more deeply than you can ever know. The Lord has done great things for us already. And when the world sees those great things that are happening, even the world can rejoice. Even the world can point to God and say, the Lord, the God of Jacob, has done great things for this people. It's a tremendous witness to the world. We know that Jesus is victorious in the victory he won on the cross but we also know that that victory is coming to its fulfillment. It's just around the corner. And so we wait eagerly with anticipation for that coming. Until that final culmination, we do work in the kingdom of God. We do work diligently, persistently, as we wait with hope, as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. And so the cry of our hearts is the cry that we hear in the last verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease and be thyself our king of peace. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us, We thank you that you took on human flesh, that you might come into this world and experience the things that we experience, and live the life that none of us can live, and die the death that all of us deserve, so that we might be reconciled to you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to recount the ways that you have acted in the past, in each of our lives, in this church, and in the history of your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have eager expectation and hope as we look forward to the things that you have yet to do. We thank you, Lord, that you are coming back for us. Help us to wait with that hope continually in our minds. For you are the desire of nations. And so we pray, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.